This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo, home of the only nighttime haunted swamp tour in New Orleans, real live ghosts, tales of the macabre, and actual sites that are still damned by voodoo curses. Only at Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Carnival Week, I guess, totally unintended, I suppose, <laughs> uh, on Pod Cemetery with 1995's Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. That's the second Candyman movie. And 2006's Hatchet. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. Who wrote the 1981 film An American Werewolf in London? Who wrote it? Mm-hmm. I can remember everything about him. I'm trying to think of the director's name. May I'm maybe hoping that the director is also the writer. And I'm trying to think of his name, and I can't think of his name, and it's driving me absolutely nuts. He killed a dude and some kids. What? In the Twilight Zone movie. Oh, Jesus. No, on the set of the Twilight Zone movie, like in real life. What? Yes, he's responsible for the death of children who weren't even supposed to be there. He was uh, working them outside of uh, actual regulations and the helicopter they were using like fell on them or whatever. Cut off their heads or something. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. I've never heard that That's before. This whole fucking thing, yeah. His son... His son, oh, he's written a couple things, including Bright. You know that Will Smith movie where it's we like... We did not see that. Yeah. And I cannot think of... Like, I don't know how I get through to you people out in the audience and Kelsey here in this room that I am terrible with names. And I can... He wears glasses and a beard. <laughs> like, I can picture him. In my face. And the worst part is I don't even know if he's the actual writer. I just know he directed it. What's the name? John Landis. Yes! Oh my <laughs> god, I was right! <laughs> I feel like I vindicated myself. I knew the answer. I just couldn't think of his name. And his son is Max Landis. <laughs> anyway. Kelsey. Yeah. As we mentioned in our last Candyman episode, Sweets to the Sweet is a line from Hamlet. But it is said by Hamlet's mother, Queen Gertrude, to which character? Who is the sweet that she is talking about? Ophelia. That is correct. She is laying some funeral bouquets at her grave after Ophelia's death. So Sweets, the bouquets, to the sweet. Ophelia, having died. <laughs> That's like the exact time that Hamlet finds out that Ophelia died. <laughs> He's like, what's going on with Ophelia? <laughs> Sweets to the sweet. Yeah, anyway. 
that's one thing that's tied to the original Candyman. Well, this whole... S- this is my point. The whole fucking movie is just trying to be the Candyman again yeah, in a is, different place. It is the same movie, guys. So well, shoved into a different frame. <laughs> let, let's get there. We're talking about 1995's Candyman 2, uh, or better known as Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. Based on the original story, again, by Clive Barker, because the first Candyman was. Screenplay by Rand Ravitch and Mark Kruger. Directed by Bill Condon, starring Tony Todd, Kelly Rowan, William O'Leary, and Bill Nunn. William O'Leary, I actually know from Home Improvement and Hot Shots. He's the brother that uh, is arrested. Nope. Don't recognize him at all? Oh, I guess I kind of recognize him. Not very much. Kelsey, what is Candyman Farewell to the Flesh all about? The his great he wants to impregnate his great 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 granddaughter or whatever the hell it is. I don't think that's right. <laughs> See, okay, so <sighs> I think he wants to kill her. Yes. That not, I not write that down. Her. I'm like, why does he suddenly want to kill her? Yeah, because he's not trying to seduce her. That's what he was doing in the first movie. That's a difference. In the first movie, he thinks he happens upon this woman who is the reincarnation of his original love, right? In the third movie, they make it worse. So in the first movie, it's just, this is the forbidden love between a black man and a white woman. You see, a black man can't be with a white woman, and he has to die now, and it's this whole thing, and it's a pretty good sort of legend uh, that informs modern society, like there's, you know, it's saying something about race in the first movie. In this movie, instead of stumbling upon the reincarnation of his love... He stumbles upon the descendant of his love for no good goddamn reason, like in a completely different city. But the whole fucking thing plays out almost exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And except now white people get to take the legacy of the Candyman, whereas the first one, you know, it was it was about an interracial love story originally, and it was trying to kind of continue that. But it's really about black oppression. And the results of that oppression generations later. This now is that, oh, no, now the white people get to take that, too. <laughs> like, it makes it worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's effectively the same thing, but worse. That's just all you need. It's everything about this movie is the same thing as the first one, but worse. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to know. Mm. <laughs> and that kind of tells you whether or not you should watch it as well. Yeah. Which it's free with a subscription on AMC. If you subscribe to AMC, their whatever their all access thing is called. But it shows as the TV 14 version. So maybe don't watch that one. It's on CBS All Access. It's on Fubo TV. You can rent it for 3 to $4 on the major players and buy it for 14 to $15 on the same. But definitely don't buy it. Maybe watch it if you're really, really hankering for Candyman no, content before no, the next one comes out. just rewatch the first yeah, one. Yeah, totally. 100%. Just rewatch the first one. It's the first one, except in New Orleans now. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. Well, you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1995's Candyman. Farewell to the flesh. 
Candyman, flesh and blood? I'm afraid not. But he lives in the mirror. You say his name five times, he's supposed to come. That's how he gets you. You guys don't really believe that, do you? There's no such thing as a candyman. Those three victims were John Doe's. What if it's true? What if the candyman does exist? You brought me here. And only God can save us. The terror in the mirror returns. Our journey begins. To avenge his name. Reveal his past. And fulfill his destiny. What do you want from me? Death is a return, you know. In a motion picture that ends what the first one barely started. Candyman, farewell to the flesh. All right, Kelsey. Get us started. How does Candyman, farewell to the flesh, begin? They tell us the whole story of Candyman again, that he was... He was the son of slaves, but he was a painter, so he was a free man. Yeah. Uh, He fell in love with the daughter of the man that he was painting. I mean, of the woman he was painting, she got pregnant, and then they sawed off his right hand, smeared him with honey, and yeah. And then it turns out that they very quickly brush off the story of the first film, and they say that they've they've put all the blame on Helen from the first film. That she went insane. And now, this is one of the best moments of this movie. Who tells us this story? A writer. A professor. Professor Purcell. Who is the same character and actor from the first one. I thought so. I thought he was in the first movie. Who mocks Helen's interest in the story at that dinner. that her boyfriend or husband or whatever invited her to and they have a whole confrontation and he like calls her silly that what are you doing looking into this urban legend or whatever it's stupid it's just an urban legend and then she in the public's eyes kind of goes crazy and then he writes a book about it he's because he's very opportunistic he never took her seriously in the first place so this is the perspective he's writing it from and there's this whole staged, ah, the Candyman's really here. He says his name five times, and then dude comes right through the... But the way that it's all set up makes you think that he's done it before. Yes, and so does he just buy a new projector screen every single performance? But worse than that, why Wouldn't he it... have been killed by the Candyman before this? Yes. Yes, 100%. Yes. 100%. But not to give it away, he's killed by the Candyman coming up here. Yes. But not before he is confronted by... Ethan Tarrant. Who is William O'Leary, who says effectively, my father came to you, you brushed him off. You told him it wasn't real, so he said the name and now he's dead. Yes. Which is just like... How many people all over the United States are dying from this that right. it hasn't become an epidemic? Exactly. Exactly. 
So it's really, really dumb. How many times must Purcell have said this up to this point? Like, you need to give us a reason why he appears in cir- certain circumstances and not others. Yes. Because you're really not. No. Especially with this Professor Purcell. The yes. dad, maybe. Maybe we have a point here. But anyway. Oh, he's selling the book and it's like a a mirrored cover. It's like a shiny silver cover that operates as a mirror, and he uses that to say Candyman five times into. I thought that that's a very clever marketing gimmick, that whoever on the production staff who came up with that idea, or if it was in the script, is a very clever touch. I think it's pretty neat. They have a marketer's mind. <laughs> that guy, Ethan Tarrant, ends up attacking him in a bar where the guy will end up being killed by Candyman. So it looks like the dude did it, even though he didn't. Right. Now, here, can I say this about Candyman? And they do it for every single Candyman kill in this movie. How does Candyman kill people? Well, not every single one, but most. With his uh, hook from gullet to... From groin to gullet? Yeah. No, actually. What he does is he shoves it through their body and then pulls it up. So he doesn't go from groin to gullet. He imagine a hook, right? Imagine Captain Hook. Now imagine him punching through your body. Why would the hook be a good device for that? It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. Your the rounded blunt end is going through their body and then when he lifts it up, he's like cutting through their body not with the hook. The the point of a hook is it has a pointy bit. In these murders, the pointy bit does literally nothing. He plunges through their body with the blunt end, and then he slices up their body with, I guess, his arm? It's dumb. And nobody ever thought about how you can actually use a hook to scary effect. Because they certainly don't do that here. And it's really, really frustrating. It's something that I hope they get right in the new Candyman coming out soon. So yes, this dude's dead. William O'Leary is... Arrested for his murder because the last time he was seen, he was seen threatening this man in the bar that he died in. So, yes. Yes. He gets arrested. So it's Mardi Gras. It's Carnival. What's the difference between Mardi Gras and Carnival? Didn't you say that the difference is that Mardi Gras is a specific day, even though we celebrate it for a week or two. Yes. But Carnival is the entire time. Yeah. So there's this sort of like carnival season that happens where there's all the these parades and street parties and stuff like that that's the carnival season and then mardi gras is supposed to be fat tuesday before ash wednesday but that kind of also blew up and was bigger and now it's like a whole week but yeah Mardi Gras is part of Carnival, and we hear this radio DJ called the Kingfish, who is apparently a 24-7 DJ. At one point, he says, I'm going to be here all day on Mardi Gras, but that's just one of the days that this goes on. Hey, we saw in both The Fog and Play Misty for me that radio DJs will DJ for a very long dedicated time. to their job. Now play Misty for me. He's in there for a couple of hours. Yes. She in the fog. The entire day in the, the fog. Festival. It's her whole entire day. Yes. I totally get that because when she's not hosting, no one is. I totally understand that. But here's, I, mm, I hate the Kingfish. He's just awful. <laughs> Terrible character. There's this thing that this movie does 
where the script is just painfully New Orleans, right? Like everything's trying to be sort of like Creole style where they can't get through a single fucking scene without mentioning Mardi Gras or gumbo or some sort of Louisiana landmark. I hear the gumbo good and hot. Looks like I'm going to be enjoying Mardi Gras with my husband after all. Relax, have some gumbo or something. I get it, but it all sounds so painfully forced and uncool. (laughs) And I write down here in my notes that the kingfish is awful, like the writer has seen too many movies and never actually been there, or he's lived there his entire life and never been anywhere else. (laughs) So it it bothers me, but then I looked it up. Kingfish is not the person we see later in the movie. Okay. The person we see later in the movie is just um, an actor, a body double or whatever, right? Kingfish, the voice, is played by Russell Buchanan, who's from Massachusetts, by the way, who is an American veteran of both World War II and World War I because he was born in 1900, January of 1900, and died in December of 2006. He was 106 years old, just shy of 107 years old, and less than 30 days away from seeing three different centuries. That's pretty cool. But he was 95 years old when he did this. Wow. Yeah. How crazy is that? (laughs) Why did he do that? He also also narrated a few episodes of uh, the biography series. But why did he do this? He's done virtually nothing. How bizarre. He has four acting credits to his name. This is one of them. The biography series is the other one, is is another one. He also did something he's credited as in uh, from 2009, so he must have recorded the role before he died, called Dixie Dynamite. And then in 1984, he's in Rhinestone, which is the Sylvester Stallone, Dolly Parton movie, where he plays a character called Elgert. So if you've seen that movie and you know that movie really well, Elgert or Elgart is this dude, Russell what? Buchanan. Yeah. What? And he was he was 84 then when he did Rhinestone. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> he was weird. a veteran of both world wars. Oh my god. <laughs> he spent 25 years in the military in order to do that. How nuts is that? Anyway, I still hate him. <laughs> Not him individually, but in this movie he's very obnoxious. The reason I bring up Kingfish is because he tells us something that I didn't know, but Farewell to the Flesh is a translation of Carnival. Hey, brothers and sisters, y'all know what Carnival means in Latin? Where the kingfish went to the good schools, so he can tell you all about it. Carnival, Farewell to the Flesh. That's what it means. I like that a lot, Farewell to the Flesh. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. The French carnival comes from the Italian carnivale, which maybe comes from the Latin carnum levamen, levamen, which which literally translates to meat dismissal. Farewell to the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could also come from the Latin carnualia, which means meat-based country feast, or caris navalis, which means boat wagon. <laughs> or float instead, I you know, because of floats that they have in these parades, ah. right? 
Yeah, so maybe, but it probably means farewell to the flesh because it happens on Fat Tuesday, which is right before Ash Wednesday, which is the start of Lent, where you're giving something up. So in this case, it's probably meat and farewell to the flesh. Mm-hmm. So it's just a phrase that they use to describe the period where you say goodbye to the things that you're going to give up for Lent, which is exactly what Carnival and Mardi Gras are all about, is where you party it up because you're about to give this shit up. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yes, Carnival means farewell to the flesh. <laughs> but of course, we know that he wants her to give up her flesh to be with him. Sure. His great, great, great granddaughter. Yes. Uh, <laughs> how is that possible? Who he also wants to have a baby with. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You say that, but I don't know if that's the case. <laughs> anyway. So she's this perfect inner city white art teacher savior figure. Oh, yes. To the point where her children, her students will come and save the day at the end of the film. Oh, God. Spoilers. I mean, these sorts of movies were all over the place around this time. And she comes from a very rich white family. Yes, she does. There's a reason that they're rich. Yes. And she happens to be the sister of the guy who was... William O'Leary's character of the guy who was arrested for killing the professor. Whose father died by the Candyman. Well, her mother is also dying of cancer. (laughs) This is Veronica Cartwright, by the way. This is Lambert from Alien and Kathy from The Birds. Yes. So, like, that's cool. Yes. One of the few people with oddly a believable accent in this movie. So she goes to see her brother who's being held in prison. And this is not at all the way that prison works. Yeah, like, it seems like he's kept the entire time in an interrogation room. And he's just left there for days. (laughs) And the cops are watching their conversations just totally illegal. They mention that. (laughs) Yes, but it's ridiculous. But he lies to her or won't tell her information because he doesn't want her to know about Candyman. He doesn't want her to say it. Yes. We meet her perfect husband. Paul is his name. This is, I think, one of the few times we hear the music in this version, in this this movie. And it's very well, very misplaced. Okay. I'm glad you said that. The theme to Candyman is one of the best horror themes. It's one of the most underrated horror themes that exists. It's so fucking good. And I think I said this when we watched the first movie. But the audio and the score are so badly mixed. It sometimes tricks me into thinking that the piano score is diegetic until it's very clear that it isn't. (laughs) And that is throughout the movie where you'll hear like piano and you'll be like, for some reason it just sounds like it's coming from the scene. And then it changes scenes and the piano's still playing. It's what? Why was it mixed so poorly if it wasn't there in the scene? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, they did a really, really bad job of mixing in the soundtrack to this. Yes. And this is like just them like driving around. Just uh-huh. like, why is the music being played right now? Uh-huh. But so she wants to go and see their old home, which has apparently been taken over by homeless people, so that it now their enormous, like, estate 
or whatever, or plantation, whatever it was. I think it's a plantation. It's a plantation, yeah. Has been now run run down by homeless people. It's supposed to remind you of the projects in the first film. But the problem with this the is green, yeah. they've they've changed the focus. So you're no longer focused on the fact that like these these people unfortunately live this way. Now you're focused on the fact that this is just waste. Yeah, like people like taking over squatters. Yeah. And you're left thinking that like, oh, it's just you don't feel sorry for them. Yeah, it's almost like they're an infestation yes. in what rich people should have yes. but have lost. This is what I'm talking about when I say that this is much worse than the original. Yes. And the messages that it sends are much worse. Yes, it's certainly shifting the focus. There also is a mural in this one like there was in the Cabrini Green Project. Yes. And it's... a a pale imitation of the first one. It has sweets to the sweet written on it, which is why I brought it up as trivia. Mm -hmm. uh, and for no fucking good reason, it's like, they just happen to know the only two places that this legend has been manifest are Chicago and Cabrini green and new Orleans. And yet the iconography, the terminology, and everything is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Where's the overlap in this Venn diagram? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But they're there to investigate because that's where her father died. Yeah. I guess nothing really comes of that scene, does no, it? No, they just kind of get away. Yeah. But so she ends up going to her classroom where a fight has broken out. What caused the fight, Kelsey? Because somebody made a picture of the of what was it? Was it, it up was candy the Candyman? I wrote down why would the Candyman drawing start a fight? Yeah, so they one got of these the kids fight believes with all of his heart in the Candyman, and all the other kids kind of believe too, but not as strongly as this as this other, as this first kid. And he drew Candyman, and for some reason they're now fighting about it. None of that actually matters, guys. The only reason they're doing this is that she has a reason to say Candyman five times into the mirror to prove to the kids that it's not real except what she really does is actually summon him now and now he's on the loose like it could not be more contrived why he's not on the loose from when the dad called him out why he's not on the loose from when purcell called his well, name no it has to be she has to call his name for him to be able to come after her right but she says his name and he comes after other people around her Everyone else. Because his love for her makes him stronger. I guess. Again, very unclear. They yes. do not explain this. If they want to explain that, that's fine. But that's not in the fucking movie. The point is, when I say it doesn't make any sense, the movie is not clear about it, is that the movie does a piss poor job of explaining this. And that's a failing of the movie because none of my inferences are implied by the movie at all. Not even slightly implied by the movie. We just have to fucking guess. I'm doing all the movie's footwork. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. But as soon as she walks away, a bee appears. So <gasps> we know that the Candyman's coming. Like we didn't already fucking know uh -huh. that. There are far fewer bees in this one than there were in the first one. Oh, I disagree. No, there's this CG cloud of bees that comes Ooh. later. Yeah. No, That's there's some real bad, bad CG in this movie. Yes. But 
But there's also, he has that one moment where the bees come out of him. But other than that, that's like it. Hmm. Remember how many times he got stung in the first one? We he, he made thousands of dollars because he got paid money every time he got stung. Tony Todd did. In the first one. I imagine he had a similar deal in this one. And so they just didn't put bees on him but once. <laughs> so, anyway. So we get a scene of her with her husband. And I wrote this down because I was like, What? Guys, he literally puts fish bones down the sink. Who does that? Who puts... Yeah, why would you do that? Why would you do that? I mean, I understand if you have a garbage disposal, you don't put things that are hard, like bone, in a garbage disposal. Are you insane? Mm-hmm. It was so stupid, I had to write it down. <laughs> also, he breaks the cork and the wine. Yeah, that's funny, though. Yeah. Like, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's trying to be a perfect husband. Well, meanwhile, Candyman shows up. Yeah. And he's telling her that they have a journey that they need to make together. So he kills the husband. Yes. So this perfect husband is now dead that we barely got to know. This is when I wrote down, wait, he doesn't think she's his old love. He's calling her Annie. Yes. Okay. She is his great, great, great granddaughter. Great, 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 great granddaughter. Something like that. Fucking who Who knows? knows? He is still very poetic and I fucking love it. Well, this is when she cuts his face. Yeah, she scratches his face and all the bees come out. Yeah. And then in her dream, he kills her mother. But I'm like, when did it become a dream? Yeah, there's another dream. Yeah, where he kills her mother and slices her throat. But it's only a portent. It will happen in real life, too. Yes, he is very poetic here. Swallow your horror and let it nourish you. Song of misery. Swallow your misery and share my world. Yeah, no, he's fa- he's fucking fantastic. When we have like these sort of charismatic supernatural killers, I love him. Opposed to Freddy, who's funny and sinister, right? This dude is like slow and poetic. And I just love hearing him talk and the things that he says. And I want more of that. Versus, you know, generally the supernatural killers that we get are like dead silent. And they can't talk. True. So I I like it when there's a really good one that does talk. Too bad the movie's just The movie's terrible. But Tony Todd as Candyman is fucking perfect. Well, but so after her mom dies in her dream... Her students have shown up to save her. I don't know how her students, I guess because they know, because the kid, one kid says that he knew the Candyman would come. It doesn't matter. We find out that bees have killed her cat. (laughs) That happens. Did it? Is that what happened? Yes. And then we get to see a flashback to... What happened? Oh, God. And then this is where we get the CG bees. Oh, it's so bad. Guys, this movie's really, really bad. I don't... There's no words for it. Oh, guys, it's just a cloud of bees that come for the honey. Like, what I want to know is, what supernatural force is guiding these bees? <laughs> it's obvious that it's supernatural. The, no, it's just the honey they put on him. Right. Is so spectacular that but the, the bees Okay, come. yeah, no, but this is my point. <laughs> Do, like... Why does that honey exist? Do they not put the honey on their toast or in their tea or anything else? And if so, why wouldn't bees come swarming then? (laughs) 
and they don't come from the hive where they're getting this honey because they have the honey right there and the bees come from fucking somewhere else. This movie's garbage. It's a supernatural swarm of bees. I don't know who decided to make this movie. But it's really and, and it just leads you to those questions where it's like, oh, the dream demon gives Freddy the power and oh, Jason is really a hell worm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's that shit where if you keep asking questions, it leads you to just, oh, well, there has to be some sort of supernatural power that guides these bees to him. <laughs> now we're going to have to fucking explain that. And <laughs> next in Candyman Day of the Dead, we're going to find out that he's actually Mexican. And you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be that thing. Quetzalcoatl it has sent these bees. You know what I mean? You hear what I'm saying? This is what this is going to be like, and it's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> well, Thibodeau in the quarter, I think, is the one who tells Thibodeau, her yes. Honor Thibodeau, yeah. She needs to break the mirror of the girl. She's so okay, to so set now the soul free. <laughs> okay, so now this is the reason why he appears in mirrors. <laughs> Because, because she was holding a mirror when he was painting her. I think it's when he died. Yes, that's the same thing. <laughs> so there's this painting of him. Uh, okay, this is so weird. So she's posed in this painting that Candyman, when he was alive, was painting her. And she's holding a mirror and it's pointed towards him. So he paints himself and the reflection in the mirror. And it's somewhere in this moment where she's holding this mirror, which for some fucking reason has a snake's head on the handle. <laughs> Why she would own this mirror, who knows? He gets carted away and killed. And so when she comes running up to see all this happening, she's holding the mirror. Somehow that means that when he dies, his soul went into the mirror. And so now when he appears, he can only appear through mirrors. And the only way to stop him is by destroying this mirror. Yes. Why? Is it the great god of mirrors now is controlling this? I don't know. It's also in this moment that we find out she's pregnant. Oh, yeah, with Paul's kid. Yes. Okay. Now, I'm going to talk. I'm, I have a huge block of questions that okay. I'd like to read through without okay. stopping. Okay. Is that okay? Yes. Because this is where my brain went. Okay. So she runs down an empty alley and somehow winds up in her own apartment? Suddenly the father of the kid who went missing knows the history. Why did she know where to find him? Why was there a loud stinger noise when the kid put his mask on? Why does this guy have all these records handy? Why is she in a cemetery now? Oh my god, the acting and the mirror is still broken, and suddenly he attacks immediately? There's no murder weapon, but he ran? So he shot him? Why would he kill her so she doesn't say his name? What the fuck is the kid Matthew doing at her house? He's in his dreams? He needs to find the mirror? How would you know what mirror you're talking about? Uh, so, yes, the one kid that really believes in Candyman disappears. She talks to his dad, who has access, I guess, to all the slave birth records. And since Daniel Robitaille, who is Candyman, was born to slaves, but he is a free man, they have a record of his birth, and he was born... 
from slaves that belonged to Annie's family. And so when she goes to the house where her father died, he went there too because he thought he was going to get a hold of the candy man because that's the place where he was born in the slave housing that they have there. So when Annie goes, she's going to need to go there. They don't explain how this priest who is this student's father knows any of this, has it all on hand. Oh, it's that actor too. Bill Nunn. What do we know him from? Well, he's Robbie Robertson in Spider-Man. J. Jonah Jameson's sort of right-hand man. He gives Peter Parker assignments. He's Radio Rahim and Do the Right Thing. No, none of this stuff. No. He's in a lot of things. Okay. He has 71 credits to his name. Okay. Oh, yeah, they go to... So they find out where he's buried. They go to this graveyard where they find a mausoleum that's named Robitaille, which, okay, here's the problem with this. His parents were slaves. He had no children by the time he died. He had no children that anyone was aware of. So who in the Robitaille family line owns this mausoleum and paid to bury anyone there? The magical bees. I guess. And why in the Robitaille mausoleum would his white lover be buried there when she is part of a rich white family? Why on earth, if they killed a man for loving her, would they have buried her in the same mausoleum as this man? Magical bees. I guess it's just the magical bees. <laughs> so fucking... Uh, like, they didn't think through anything. So ultimately, she... Well, she goes to her brother, tells her brother, why didn't you tell me about any of this stuff? She's like, because I didn't want you to get hurt. And then the cop who we hate, who's been following Annie around and who's been harassing her brother, comes in and says Candyman five times in the mirror just to fuck with the dude. And then sure enough, Candyman shows up and kills him and throws him out a window. The people think that William O'Leary's character did it. So when he tries to run away to get away from Candyman, the police shoot him. And so now he's dead. The police go to get Annie. Because they think that she's really the one who did all these killings and not him. But the partner of the cop who just died watched the security footage of the moment where her partner died. And sees that he is lifted up by seemingly nothing as William O'Leary cowers in the corner. And is thrown through the glass proving William O'Leary's innocence. And that there is some supernatural force. There is video proof. Now I understand. The cops that are coming to arrest Annie don't know that. But if they arrest Annie and you go, look, you could get her off. And even still, Annie, notwithstanding, we have video proof of the supernatural. And it's just only used to explain why one of the cops tells Annie that you better get out of here before they get you, before they arrest you and lets her go. It's the only thing that video proof of the supernatural is used for. And then it's forgotten about. Like it doesn't exist. Whatever. 
everything is wrong in this movie. So Annie goes to her old home. She realizes the mirror is probably in the slaves' quarters. She goes there. It's all beaten up. She finds the mirror, and Candyman finds her. He's tempting her to come with me. Really, what he wants to do is kill them both at midnight, the morning of Ash Wednesday. And... She's too good to fall for it. She grabs the mirror and she smashes it. The slave quarters are falling into the bayou or the river, the Mississippi. It's in the Mississippi, right? It's like falling into the Mississippi now, which apparently is right there on their property. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, The stairs are over the water. She falls in. She tells Matthew to leave. This is the kid. She finds the kid here. Bodies try to frighten her away. They're like skeletons, yeah. He tries to tell her the mirror is the the place where my strength comes from, which I'm like, why would you tell her that? Why would you tell her? Yes. Uh, He tells her to be his witness, and she's like, nah, dog, and she breaks (laughs) it, and the BCG is there again. No, but then he, he solidifies... Into what? It's unclear because the textures don't really tell you whether it's glass or rock or what or fossil. It's But then he shatters as if he's a mirror. Yes, he smashes apart in horrible CG. And by the way, all of her other students have also shown up at this point to yes. save her. Uh-huh. Again, again, her kids have shown up. Uh-huh. At this point, I was like, when will this movie fucking end? Oh, my God. <laughs> Like at one point he's like The choice is no longer yours And I was like I shouldn't have made the choice to put you on (laughs) Uh, But then we get the very end And the last scene is even worse What happens in the last scene Kelsey? We find out that she has a daughter named Caroline Which I'm like okay And then Caroline's like I'm gonna say Candyman four times In the mirror and my mom's gonna stop me In the fifth time nobody understands why (laughs) Why does she know this She's just like shh Go to bed. Yes. Your daughter almost summoned Candyman. If he either he can't be summoned and then you shouldn't be worried or he can. And you probably shouldn't just say go to bed because she's going to try again. And why would you have a mobile with sharp glass hanging dangling above your daughter? Yeah. And if you think Candyman might be a problem, why would that glass be a mirror? Right. Why would you have mirrors anywhere in your house? Agreed. Let alone with the, uh, uh, hanging above your daughter, and you know she might say his name. Stupid. Because it's trying to be creepy. Did this we ever actually stupid. say outright that the reason the dad called Candyman is because he found out that his wife, Veronica Cartwright, is a descendant of? But why would that matter? Candyman. Why would you want to talk to why do you want to confront right. him? Why would that bother you so you, much? Why do you care? Because apparently they care about an urban legend in Chicago. This movie is so dumb. So dumb. Do not see it. Absolutely. We've just told you everything you need to know about this movie. And I sincerely hope, since the bar is so low now, that Day of the Dead is better. But if we're being honest. I'm not hoping too strongly. <laughs> I, I'm not getting my hopes up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Did you know that since this was around 1995, they had to take down some of the marketing for this movie because it was about a black man that looked vaguely like O.J. Simpson stalking and killing a white woman? Wow. <laughs> that was a thing. Oh, my God. Roger Ebert's review is actually pretty good. You should read it. Okay. I would recommend on RogerEbert.com. 
Look up Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Okay. All right, Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Six. Wow. Harsh. <laughs> 28%. This is what the consensus statement says. Doubling down on gore while largely abandoning the subtext and wit that made the original worthwhile, mm -hmm. Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh disappoints. Yes. Absolutely, it does. Entirely. No Metacritic, no cinema score. Do you think 28% is overrated or underrated? Maybe overrated. What would you give it? I can't think of a single thing I liked about this movie. Tony Todd. True. And it's only because it's more of what he did in the first one. True. You could watch the first one for that. True. Five. Whoa. I was going to go. This movie's garbage. It is garbage. Oh, God. Yeah, everything, anything that you could say is good about this came from the first film. Yes. And, like, even the cool, like, oh, man, Carnival, Mardi Gras, you're in New but Orleans. But it's all shitty. It's really shitty. It's all really terribly forced It sounds forced so into fake film, and forced, yes. And it's all touristy shit. Exactly. Like, it's all the shit that, like, I'm like, I don't think anybody from New Orleans actually enjoys this part of it. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you know, I think you're right. I think there is kind of nothing redeeming about this movie. Mm-hmm. All the poignant shit from the first one is completely undermined in this one. Yes. The first one had something to say. This one just wanted to make a replica, and I don't know why. I'll give it a 10. Okay. I'll give it a 10. Just, jeez. Because I don't even think the first movie... Did the first movie make a lot of money? I feel like it's well-loved now, but I feel like it didn't used to be. No, it was always this sort of, like... Everyone knew about it, but nobody actually watched it kind of horror movie from the 90s, you know? Yeah, I mean, it made it, it made a lot of profit, I would say. It was a $6 million movie that made just shy of $26 million. Oh, wow, okay. So re in relation to its budget, it made a lot of money. That was the original. This one, I don't know what its budget was, but it made about $14 million worldwide. So like just over half of what the first one made. And so I think what's going to what we're going to see is that the budget for these movies is going to go down. <laughs> it's just going to be one of those horror franchises that's they just keep coming out with cuz they know they can make it for cheap and no one will care and they'll still go to see it and it'll be profitable. But nobody will really like it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm really worried about this third one. For sure. Well, geez, that's Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. And part of me wishes we could be saying farewell to the franchise, but we're not going to be. No. We got to get through it before the new Candyman comes out. So we're completely informed of all the context surrounding Candyman. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Anyway, before we get to our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. Where do the survivors in Dawn of the Dead take refuge? The mall. You want me to give you the name of the mall? It's like the Sunshine Mall or some bullshit. What is it called? Monroeville. Monroeville Mall, yeah. Uh -huh. You know how I know that? How do you know that? Because of sunsets over Monroeville. Is that why I thought of Sunshine? Probably. Maybe, okay. All right, Kelsey. Adam Green, writer and director of Hatchet, uh -huh. also wrote and directed what other horror movie? I will give you a hint. We have seen it. 
Can I get another hint? Do we like it? We did not cover it on this show. We did not cover it on this show. No. Did we like it? I don't think you did. I was okay with it. You haven't covered on the show. I didn't like it. You did. Probably another shitty horror comedy. Not really a comedy. No? No. So it's much more self-serious than this is. Small cast. Main cast is like three people. There is no killer. It is not a slasher movie. I have no idea. Frozen. Oh, no, you did not like that movie. I thought it was okay. We both hated it. I know you hated it. It was bad. It's the movie where these people are stuck overnight on a ski lift. We're just really upset with how they dealt with this. It was just really annoying. These the first characters. guy to fall and break his legs. It's like, wow. But okay, fine. The second guy, you're just like, what? What? You didn't learn from the first guy to, to roll? What? Do you, what? What do you mean? Just go straight down into yeah. the hard packed snow. Uh-huh. What's wrong with you? You already saw your other dude friend die. What? what? No good. No fucking good. Yeah, you don't need to see it. Speaking of Adam Green and his movies that he's written and directed, our next movie is 2006's Hatchet, starring Kane Hodder, famous for playing Jason, even though he's one of many. Joel David Moore, Dion Richmond, and Amara Zaragoza. What is Hatchet about? A group of people get stranded in the Louisiana Bayou, which, yes, that's one of the reasons why I connected the two. And it's also, but it's happening during Carnival. Yes, it's happening dar- during Carnival. It happens in New Orleans, and it's about a uh, urban legend. So I I did quite well putting these movies uh-huh. together. Unfortunately, they are both terrible. So a group of people get stuck in Louisiana Bayou, where there happens to be an urban legend of a deformed backwoods guy that uses a quote unquote hatchet, which in fact he does not use, to murder people. Because he was murdered. If it sounds to you like this is light on the lore and they didn't really think it up very well, well, that's because it is apparently a story that Adam Green made up at a summer camp when he was eight years old to scare other kids. And he just kept it in his head and then he wrote a script about it. Oh, so that's why this movie's garbage, because it's an eight-year-old's idea. No, no, no. The legend of Victor Crowley is the eight-year-old's idea. Everything around it is a full-grown adult writing a script about it. This movie desperately wants to be Friday the 13th. Like, it just, it it wants to be Friday the 13th. And the thing is, is it has no idea what made Friday the 13th It special. also wants to be funny, though. It really, really wants to be funny and, and thinks it's, not. it's funny. But and it's, it's not. not. We've covered some funny horror movies on yes, this show. Yes, we have. When I first looked, okay, when I first looked it up, and guys, you gotta hear, you gotta know that we've heard about this movie several times yes. on videos from sources that we would ordinarily agree with, so it's very upsetting that this movie was not good. But in addition, when I first read about this, I was like, oh, this kind of sounds like 
Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which if you'll remember, it took Chris forever to get me to watch that movie, and I mm-hmm. really liked it. Yeah. So I definitely thought I was going to like this movie, and so that was why this was an even bigger disappointment. Yes. It is available with a subscription on Prime, Hoopla, which is apparently a service, <laughs> Voodoo, Tubi, and the Tribeca shortlist, which I guess you can get a subscription to. You can rent it for $2 on Prime, Google, YouTube, and Redbox, $4 on iTunes, Vudu, and Microsoft, or buy it for $6 on uh, many of those same services. Should people watch Hatchet? Nope. This movie, I think I have it pegged. It feels ripe for irony love. You know, that it's just, it's low budget and whatever, it's nonsense fun. You know, teenagers will love this. It has titties and and people throw up. And it's, it's a little bit remarkable insofar as almost everything is practical. And that's kind of cool. But in a way that it's kind of obvious that it's all practical. You know, n- none of it looks real. All of it looks like... Gore well, they don't want it to look real. Right, exactly. This is my point. And so I think the people that like it like it because it's ironic to like a movie that's intentionally bad. But I don't think that being intentionally sort of tongue-in-cheek bad and being a little bit old school with everything being, you know, practical effects and not falling prey to the the, the CG whore that people feel good about liking this. But I don't think that that gets it off the hook. I don't think that that should give it a free pass for just being not entertaining, like, at all. Mm-hmm. It isn't. No. I do not... Like, I think I see why people like it, but I don't think that that logic really holds up under scrutiny. I just find it offensive that somebody saw Friday the 13th and thought, I'm gonna turn that into... I'm gonna make that for today's horror generation and i'm gonna you know i'm just gonna update it but it's, it's not like, even friday the 13th because the first one was his mom he wasn't even a killer in that one well no exactly so it's offensive because they thought that it would be scary to have literally guys a mentally challenged deformed person yeah be the murderer yeah and it's like all they saw was that Jason is kind of like that, but they didn't understand who Jason was as a character. Yeah. And the fact that we had built up to him from the first film where he became an entity because his mother was killed. In this one, the lore is is that he's like a demon that's reliving the day of his death for all of his existence. And that's why he's just angry at everything. What? And I I feel like it's trying to say, to give away some shit, in the Victor Crowley lore, people who made fun of this child who was deformed set his house on fire and his dad trying to save him accidentally put an axe in his head and that's what killed him. And it's trying to say that this young man, this poor young man died because of people's intolerances. But then you're exploiting this character and his story to make a funny haha vomit and titty joke movie. Mm-hmm. Like, do not try to say that you're doing this for the right reasons, because you are not. Right reasons. <laughs> right right reasons. reasons. Right reasons. Right reasons. Can't believe you're the right reasons.
uh, feels like we're just being prudes in this episode, but really, really, we re- we liked the first Candyman movie. Yeah. We like Friday the 13th. We've, we liked the Friday the 13th remake. Yes. Like, there is a capacity in us to like these movies. These are just bad ones. <laughs> anyway. You can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 2006's Hatchet. Once upon a time, there was a boy named Victor Crowley. Folks weren't too kind of Victor, so he stayed hidden in his daddy's house, out in the bayou. One night, some mean children came to his house, and there was a bad fire. When his daddy dropped down the door to save him, he didn't know Victor was pressed against the other side. And poor Victor Crowley died. They say people disappear in those woods. And legend has it, if you get close enough to the old Crowley house at night, you can still hear Victor Crowley roaming in the woods, crying. I want to go home. We're all going to die. Kelsey, can you get us started on Hatchet? How does it begin? They somehow got Robert Englund to be in this movie. It's a Kane Hodder movie. So, because... Oh, because they work together. Yeah. Okay. They also got Tony Todd. Yeah. Yeah, so... But how? (laughs) But how? (laughs) So, a couple of rednecks are out in the bayou, and they're hunting a gator, I think? Yep. Some big gator. Which jumps out of the water at them at some point, uh, and the son is berated by England. England has a son, and he berates him, and the guy goes off to pee, and when he comes back, his dad has disappeared. Oh, but no, he hasn't disappeared. He's just been mutilated. Right, but Kelsey, we need to stop here and identify that not only is the dad Robert England, the son is Joshua Leonard, who is Josh from the Blair Witch Project. The blonde one? Yeah. Holy shit, really? Yeah. That's fun. Now, see, I don't have a question as to how they got him. (laughs) But that's fun. So he ends up getting his arm ripped off and then his innards ripped out. Yep. And we don't see by who, right? Because it's not the gator. It's not the gator, no. Yeah, okay. Uh, then we get a Mardi Gras scene, which is which was very similar to the Mardi Gras scene that we got in Candyman Farewell to the yeah, Flesh, uh-huh. because it's all very similar. It's all just the typical stuff, as we said about Candyman. But we do know two of these actors, of these guys that we're introduced to, and they're going to be our main two actors. We know the main guy from... Ben. 
That's Joel David Moore. He's from Grandma's Boy. Yes, he's the villain, in quotes, in Grandma's Boy. How can he see me? <laughs> How can he see me? <laughs> he was also in Dodgeball. He was in Avatar. He was in Dodgeball? Yes. And then the black guy, we know him. He's from... Dion Richmond. Who do you? How do you know him? He, I know him from two movies. I know him from not another teen movie where he plays Malik, the token black, the guy. token black character, which is fantastic. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm the black guy at this party. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, man. I didn't know. <laughs> so good. Isn't he in one of the scary movies too? He's in Scream. Oh, he's in Scream. He's in Scream 3, yeah. Scream 3. See, once you get to Scream 3, I can't tell. <laughs> is it scary movie? Is it Scream 3? I can't tell. Yeah. So those two guys are best friends. And this movie really thinks it's so much funnier than it is, guys. Oh, my God, yeah. We- I mean, some of it is. Okay, don't get me wrong. Some of it is funny. Is it? Yes. Is it? Yes. I'm interested to see what you thought was actually I, I bet funny. you I can't remember. <laughs> so we get introduced to these characters and basically guys over the course of this film you're going to hear this backstory of the fact that the guy from Grandma's Boy <laughs> how can he see me? <laughs> it's my favorite line from that film. <laughs> he does he does it very well. You're fucking weird. He had a girlfriend since the 7th grade. They're in college now and she broke up with him and so the the friend the guy from Not Another Teen Movie Marcus. has taken him to Mardi Gras to try and get him over this girlfriend. Basically, last year, the guy from Grandma's Boy heard from other friends about a tour to take in the bayou, go take this tour, and he convinces his friend that to go on this with him. Yes. There you go. That's their whole thing. So Ben from Grandma's Boy convinces Marcus from Not Another Teen Movie to go with him. And when they get there, it is Tony Todd. Yes. Who Oh, see, this out- is good. Okay, yes. This he is does good. an outstanding job. <laughs> when he gets on screen, you're like, okay, so it's going to be kind of an awkward humor, but that's fine. That was uh-huh. that, I was okay with that. But no, this is the only time <laughs> that this happens. Okay, maybe you could argue. No, no, I'm not even going to do that. I was going to say maybe you could say the boat tour guy is kind of funny, but not really. Yeah, no, it's kind of an old joke. It is an old joke. Even this is a little old, but so they go to Tony Todd and they're asking about the night tours of the bayou and Tony Todd, you know, dressed up like he's got this sort of vaguely Baron Samedi look to him. Dr. Facilier sort of vibe going for him. Yes. They ask him about these tours, and he's like, oh, we don't do the nighttime tours anymore. I'm not allowed. (laughs) He's like, why not? Not after what happened on the last tour. What happened? You don't want to hear the story. (laughs) No, really, what happened? (laughs) He tells a story about basically an injury lawsuit that happened. And they're like, that's it? He's like, I told you, you didn't want to hear the story. (laughs) I had a tour group out in the swamp last Halloween. It was the mist of night. Yeah? And there was this chief that looked kind of like you. He got spooked by something in the marsh. He saw two eyes staring at him from the woods. The children to his very marrow. They wanted to get off the boat in a hurry. And he had his foot dangling over the edge. 
He, he fell in? A gator got him? What happened? He slipped. Hit his head right on the roof and sued me for negligence. That cocksucker! That's it? And he tells him if they go two blocks east, they'll find a place that's still doing it. Yes. As they're walking, they will have a conversation about the fact that the the last time the black guy had sex, he ended up getting crabs. And the guy from Grandma's Boy is like, well, that's why you don't hook up with itchy chicks from Fezziwigs. Everyone knows that. <laughs> And that will come up later, because later the black eye will be excited to hook up with the chick, and then she will also itch her crutch. Yes. That's, this is the kind of humor. The level of humor in this Yeah, this is the kind of humor. So, they go to this place, and it kind of reminded me of the tour. Okay, so the funny thing is is that I've actually been on tours like this, not Uh specifically in the bayou, but like, Chris and I went to one in Scotland, I've been to one in Seattle. Like, I've been on these kinds of tours before. Sort of like haunted, you know, late night tours. And yeah. they are very similar to this. Uh-huh. Uh, but usually they're better production value than this, especially the ones that I would go to. You better know? writing. Right, exactly. More entertaining hosts, yeah. But what it reminded me of movie-wise was, is it is it Leprechaun 2? It's Leprechaun 2. <laughs> You're right. It is Leprechaun Two <laughs> of the the haunted, the really cheesy Hollywood haunted tour, tour or whatever. Yeah, where they just suddenly have a huge group of people waiting, uh-huh. and you're like, "Where did these people come from?" You're right. Oh my god! It's it's Leprechaun Two. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. Anyway, while there, there is a poster that we see. It says Victor Crowley lives. We meet these two chicks, like, so basically, the writer was like, well, I gotta have boobs, but my movie doesn't call for a lot of people, so I'm just gonna have these two chicks who are just gonna show their boobs over and over and over again. So anyway, Bill Murray's little brother is gonna be carrying a camera and just trying to force a sort of Girls Gone Wild production during this tour. Don't worry, the girls, like, are fully into it, except that we find out later that he's just doing it for his own home video, which, of course, we knew going into it. Sleazy as fuck, but yeah. And one of the jokes will be that the chick from Adam's Family Values... (laughs) Yep. The joke will be, I can't believe this is the third time I've fallen for this. Uh Uh-huh. Mercedes McNabb Again, this is the level, guys. (laughs) This is the movie we watched. And that's the movie that you find funny if you do. There's also a joke about the fact that the guys are charged $40, whereas the chicks are charged $30. You've seen her before. She looks kind of familiar. Amara Zaragoza. She was in Gossip Girl for a while. I mean, not nothing much else. She was in an episode of Supernatural, and I don't even know if we saw that episode. Okay. We had Dirty Sexy Money and Gossip Girl. It's something called Strange Angel, which just aired in 2018 and 2019. No idea what the hell that is. We also meet uh, an elderly couple, and we definitely know that guy. Yeah, Richard Real, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's the jump to conclusions Matt guy from Office Space. That you jump to. (laughs) It's Matt with conclusions on it that you jump to. (laughs) It was a jump. To conclusions, Matt. 
You see, it would be this mat that you would put on the floor and would have different conclusions written on it that you could jump to. That is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life, Tom. Yes. Yes, it's horrible, this idea. <laughs> and, and his wife, so that's Jim, his wife Shannon, which is uh, Patrika Darbo, who you've definitely seen before. Uh, I mean, she was in The Burbs, which we watched on the show. Who was she in The Burbs? She was Art's wife. She was his wife? Yeah. How funny. I don't remember that. She was on Days of Our Lives for years. But so you guys can see that these people are all, they all come from the comedy world. Okay? And so clearly they saw something in this film. I mean, I guess they're all kind of, they're low rent, but like, you know, they all come from the comedy world. So I don't know if it's just the editing, but just the story itself is bad, guys. Yep. Yep. It's not great. But it's it's kind of funny. The, the tour guide is like, do you guys ever notice that we put all of our dead above ground? You ever wonder why we do that? It's because if we don't, so many of them come back to life. <laughs> and they're like, uh... No, it's because it's because New Orleans is below sea level, and so it would flood, and it's not it's not a great place to bury people. <laughs> so that's why you put them in no, mausoleums. No, 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 I'm pretty sure it's because they come back to life. <laughs> okay, that, that the, part was funny. And the host is Perry Shen, who you've absolutely seen before. He was in Better Luck Tomorrow. If you've seen that movie, no. Nope. Oh, he he did voices for Ghosts of Tsushima. Additional characters. He doesn't, but his character that he plays in this movie actually has a kind of thick Asian accent, and he's putting on this sort of Creole accent. Well, but then by the end, you find out that he doesn't have either accent. Really? You don't remember that part? Yes. Okay. So, guys, during the whole tour, he's putting on... An overly emphasized New Orleans accent, but at the same time, he's kind of bringing in this kind of slave accent as well. In fact, the guy from Not Another Teen Movie will make a comment about how he thinks it sounds very Uncle Remus. Yeah. Similar to that. But then the joke will become later that, in fact, he has a very thick Asian accent, which doesn't make sense because if you can learn right exactly, if you can yeah, learn uh-huh. English to the point where you can speak it as if you you're from New Orleans, well then you wouldn't speak the way that a person who just came from Asia would speak, uh-huh. which is the joke here. And then later he will end up just speaking normally like you and I do. Non-regional. For for us, normally is Californian. No, it's pretty non-regional. And he will just sound that way, and everyone will get mad at him for that right before he dies. I don't remember that Because, spoilers, they all die. He's going to die. Yeah, like everyone is going to die. They all die. Everyone. None of this movie matters. Everyone is going to die. None of this movie matters. I mean, kind of, maybe. Maybe because the sequel takes place where this one leaves off. Like it all, like the the three movies are like back to back to back. Who cares? <laughs> so when they get onto the boat, so he has to take them on this long bus tour out to the bayou. And then once they get to the bayou, they get into this boat. Okay. There is a funny moment here where there's this, there's a guy in his boat 
He's trying to warn them not uh-huh. to go out there. Now, guys, I'm not even going to try to make any of this make sense because none of it actually does. You're going to find out later that this this Asian man has this is his second tour, right? That he's giving. And the night before, everything went well. And supposedly his cousin gave him this job, which we end up not knowing if that's even true. Because like I said, we're going to find out that he's not this Asian straight from Asia. So his whole backstory doesn't really matter at all. But my point is, he's going to talk about this guy who's sitting in a boat as if he knows him. And we're going to find out that he does know the things that this man does. He makes a joke about the fact that he drinks his own piss, but that ends up being true. Yeah, uh-huh. he does and that's drink the punchline to that joke is that, yes, he does. But he still is giving them a legitimate warning. So the idea is that he has history with this man. But again, yeah. this is only the second time that he's giving this tour. So... None of this makes sense. None of this movie matters. But we're going to find out ultimately that this swamp has been closed because of people dying here recently. And everyone thinks that it's the Victor Crowley story, which we talked about earlier. And the reason that they're on this swamp is because it basically gives them free reign of the swamp because it's closed to everyone else. And they can sell tickets at a premium. That's why they're there. So on this boat ride, he tells the story of Hatchet Face, which they never call him that again. They just call him Hatchet. No, he's he, they call him Victor Crowley. Oh, but they don't call him Hatchet Face. No, he's the only one that does just this one time. Yes. And of course, when I hear Hatchet Face, I think of Crybaby. That's a shame about your face. There's nothing the matter with my face. I got character. So he tells the story of how this man had a son who was physically deformed as well as mentally challenged. And he murdered his son because he was so ugly and he he mistreated him all his life. And the story goes that ever since he was murdered, he has prowled through the woods calling for his daddy. And so the story goes is that if you're ever near the old Crowley house late at night, it's still here, Victor Crowley. Crying for his daddy. Daddy. <gasps> Y'all hear that? <laughs> daddy. I don't heard it again. And he does a pretty good job of being funny. He's funny. Yes. Meanwhile, the chick that the guy from Grandma's Boy has been sitting next to and has Mary been Beth. hitting on. Mary Beth. Mary Beth. She says that's not even the story, that's not even the house that he came from. Yeah. Which is what causes the tour guide to yell out in, like, Chinese or something. Yeah, I think it's Chinese. And I don't know why he does that. I guess we're supposed to, I guess he wants them to feel sorry for him because he's an immigrant. No, it's because he's lost his cool. Right. He's breaking character. But he's character. not really that person. That's why I don't think that that's actually a joke that happens. It is a joke that happens. <laughs> that ain't the story. Uh, that's the gist of it anyway. It's not even the house. Guys, would you just let me do my job? Save my boss. You know what, Jackie Tucker? Your tour sucks my ass. What did you just call me? You heard me. Say it again. I say it all night, you fake Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker. I think I hear a little emerald, you confused wannabe. Why'd you just get off my case, asshole? It was an accident, for Christ's sake. Okay, look. I'm gonna be completely and totally honest with you guys. I like to... 
I don't remember it and it wouldn't make sense. But I wouldn't put it past this movie to not make sense. Yeah. To just make a convenient joke in the moment. Yes. Uh huh. He tells another story about a pirate and like some treasure that doesn't matter at all. But it's during this time that we get the whole backstory of the guy and his ex-girlfriend. But it doesn't matter. And they get into a crash. They crash into a rock and it starts to rain and the boat is sinking and they all need to get off the boat. A gator swims up, ends up biting the old man. Jim, the dude from Office Space. Jump to conclusions, guy. (laughs) (laughs) He ends up getting, like, bitten or something. On his leg. He gets bitten on his leg, yeah. And they all end up getting to shore. It's this long scene and none of it matters. Mary Beth shoots him and it's revealed that Mary Beth has a gun. And this is important because Marcus then says, somebody want to tell me why Janie's got a gun, which is a thing that happens in Not Another Teen Movie. Yes. Where the romantic song with her name in it that he plays over the loudspeaker is Janie's got a gun and everyone freaks out because they think she brought a gun to school. Does someone want to explain why Janie's got a gun? <laughs> Janie Briggs got a gun. She's got a gun. Oh. Janie's got a gun. He is in that movie, hence reference. Get it? It's funny. Yes. And this is when the Mary Beth will tell the true story. Why she knows the true story is never explained. But the truth is, well, because is that she lives there. She she actually knows the story. They she's don't a real live resident. there. He they were up there hunting gators. No, not specifically on this swamp, but they live in in New Orleans. They're from there. The true story is is that the father loved his son but couldn't protect him from the neighborhood kids who were very cruel to him. And one night they accidentally set his house on fire, which ends up burning Hatchet alive. And when the dad's trying to break him out, ends up putting the axe through the door where... Victor's face was pressed up against because he wanted to get out. And so really it's the dad that kills him and it's a tragic story. Yes. And that is when they come upon Victor Crowley's actual house. And when they get there, they do hear him calling out daddy. (sighs) Everyone chooses to believe her story except for the jump to conclusions guy and his wife because he's been bit by a gator and they need help. So yeah. they decide to kind just... Kind of don't care, just get us out of here. Right. So they decide to go towards the house, which is where the hatchet guy slowly kills them with a hatchet. Did we say that Mary Beth is Freddy Krueger's daughter? Oh. Robert Englund? I don't think so, not yet. Yeah, I mean, that's why she's there is because she's looking for her brother and her dad who disappeared in the swamp. But the interesting thing that they do here is... She ends up shooting Hatchet, and he ends up going down. So what they find is that you can hurt him. You just can't kill him. Yeah. So you can buy yourself time, Uh huh. but you can't murder him, is what they come to discover. And the dude who was making the movie, for whatever reason, is running around by himself. And literally, we were just like, why is he suddenly running about around by himself? And it was like, oh... Because they wanted another death here, apparently. Yes. So they murder him. And you find out here that Hatchet is stuck in the night of his murder. Yep. For some reason. And what does that even mean? It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. Why don't you just say he's just a ghost just killing people? Like, why why are you creating this lore that does not matter? He is Jason Voorhees 
but in the bayou. Yes. But a really shitty version of Jason Voorhees. And they even do the thing that they do with Friday the 13th. Like I said, the next movie takes place exactly when this one left off. That's what happens with Friday the 13th 2 and 3. You took a character who already suffered enough from being a boring character. Jason is loved because he was one of the first. Yeah, he's like iconic. And he did things that at the time were brand new. Uh Uh-huh. But he's also one of the most boring characters. Yes. And you you were like, I really love Jason and I want to restart the Jason franchise, but I'm going to make it worse. Uh-huh. <sighs> we were just talking about how fun it is to have a supernatural villain that has a voice, like a unique voice. In the case of Tony Todd and Candyman or Robert Englund, who's in this movie, and Freddy Krueger. And, and we just have another silent, large killer. Who's doing nothing new. Uh-huh. Who's doing nothing interesting. Nope. Except for the fact that you can buy time by hurting him, but that doesn't matter. Because, again, spoilers, he's going to kill everybody, so yes. it doesn't matter. The one thing you had that was kind of interesting does not matter at all. Again, he's a carbon copy of a character that was only cool because at the time it was new. Agreed. And also, they decided to focus on the. They decided to focus on his deformities, which is so the worst thing you could focus on when it comes to Jason. Yeah. Like, yes, agreed, agreed. They probably made him deformed in the first film simply because it was creepy. I agree to that. But it also added to the story. It's why she was so protective. It's why she cared so much about her son. Uh huh. It becomes less important as the franchise goes on. Yes, absolutely. Of course they did it because it was creepy, but at the time, it had something to do with the story. Yeah. So a bunch of people die. Well, okay. (laughs) They get another joke here that did make me smile. Uh Uh-huh. After the chick from Adam's Family Values discovers- Mercedes McNabb playing Misty. After she discovers that it's the third time she's been tricked into this- They're wandering. Okay, so guys, they haven't figured out yet that for whatever reason, you can't escape the woods once you're in them. So, like, they're just going in big circles over and over again. But the way that they chose to tell us was kind of funny. She, all of a sudden you hear, I don't want to wait for life to be over. I don't know why this chick would have that as her ringtone in this year. Right. Because that show had been over at that point for like at least three years. I have no idea when Dawson's Creek ended. It ended in the early 2000s and this was 2006. So I would guess at least three years. Uh, But anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, is it made me smile. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and listen, I'm documenting every time I smile in this movie. Yes. That's how that's how rare it is. Yes. And then we have this really dumb scene. And I wrote down... Okay, okay. we get this scene where everyone who's left is, in, is on one side of the screen. And then you have the other chick who's been doing the sexy movie. She's on her own. Uh-huh. And she's in front of a bush... And the bush is moving. And everybody on the other side of the screen is telling her to get the fuck away from the bush. Right? And you're thinking, Hatchet's going to come out and kill the girl. That was absolutely not what I was thinking. The whole time I was like, it's just going to be a raccoon. Like, literally, a raccoon is what I said. 
it's just going to be a raccoon. Well, you're sitting there watching this sh- this scene. Eventually, the chick moves over to the group. And you're like, okay, why is the scene still going? And then they have to do this whole convincing of someone to go and look into the bush. Yes. And their whole thing is somebody might need help, which doesn't make any sense because why wouldn't the person say anything? Yeah, uh-huh. But you're still watching the scene and you're just like, how long is the scene going to go on for? And then the, finally one of them is convinced to go and look well, into it. Well, Marcus is like, oh, the black guy's got to do it, huh? And they're like, no, it's because you have a flashlight. You're the only one with a flashlight. And he tries to force uh, the host guy uh, Perry Shen's character, Sean, <laughs> to hold on to the flashlight and he refuses to grab it. And he's like, oh, fine, okay, I'll go. During the scene, I wrote down, what is happening? <laughs> Why did this movie come to a screeching halt? Yes. Why is the scene one going joke, on? which is not worth this buildup. They get there, they find out it's a raccoon, and then the rest of the group comes over to the other side of except the screen. Except for the woman who was originally the standing there at the bush. Who was originally on the side with the raccoon and you're sitting <laughs> there and you're just little, like, this scene is still going on. It's a little funny. It's not funny. No, no, no. In concept, telling it back now, sitting through it is painful. painful because it's way too long. Whenever you do a joke like this, you are making a gamble because you are wasting people's time if they don't like the punchline. You are wasting people's time and a lot of it. And you are sacrificing the pace of the entire movie on the chance that people will like this one gag. But yes, Hatchet comes out of nowhere from the other side, the opposite side of the screen, and kills the woman who was originally on the safe side with the raccoon. But um, That's this movie. They thought about it. It has thought behind it. They just made the wrong decision. It should have been a lot faster. They could have done this very same thing and just made it a lot faster. So they're getting picked off faster and faster, and the guy's just like, well, maybe it's time to fight back instead of running away, because clearly we can't get away from these woods. Okay, so let they decide that they're going to set him on fire. And here you can tell that they really love Nightmare on Elm Street 3. So Marcus ends up doing giving a speech that's very similar to Kincaid's speech from Nightmare on Elm Street 3 where they are taunting the entity Mm -hmm. of Freddy or Hatchet to come out after them and their friends. But I do enjoy the look that Marcus gives after he does his speech, because it's very... (laughs) Yeah, uh, the whole point is that he's supposed to trick Victor Crowley into coming after him so Ben can get inside the house and get to the gas canisters that they saw from the outside, and hopefully use that to set him on fire. Yeah, meanwhile, Misty died off screen. Like, she didn't even get a death on screen. Yeah, so Mary Beth finds her family in this room full of body parts. She finds her dad and her brother in that room and is crying. She's actually a pretty convincing crier in this movie, I gotta say. I believed her crying. But then a a torso gets thrown into this room, and it's Misty's torso. She had been killed off screen, and we never saw it. Yes. But they are successful, and they do set him on fire, but then it rains. Yeah, and puts it out. It just suddenly rains, and then it puts the fire out, and he's like, oh, I'm not on fire anymore. I guess I'll stand up. Yep. Oh. (laughs) All right, movie. Okay. And then Marcus ends up getting killed, who tries to tell them to run. He gets his arms ripped off. Uh, They do run away, but I think the guy from Grandma's Boy gets, like, 
a pole through his foot, which reminded me of Adventures in Babysitting. Don't fuck with the babysitting. Yeah? Why Why does that remind you of Anytime that? anybody gets something just through the foot. Oh, And they okay. act like it's a bigger deal than it. it is. Yeah. Or it makes me think of Ace Ventura 2 when Nature Calls, when he gets the spears in his legs and is like, ah! I don't know why that's where my mind goes. But yes. Uh, oh, you didn't say the part where they get cornered in the gravesite and Victor Crowley just drools into Ben's mouth and then Ben later on throws up and you kind of gagged at that. Yeah, I wrote vomits on him. Now he's throwing up. Yeah, no, he was just kind of like, it was just this weird sort of like drool, like you might see in Beethoven. You know, the movie about the dog. It with made all this me fake think drool. of Rock and Roll Nightmare. Oh, yes, where the hand puppet is trying to vomit into this cup and it's really not happening. That's what it made yeah. me think of. <laughs> Go listen to a Rock and Roll Nightmare episode. Yeah, folks. no one listens to that episode. It's so good. Rock and Roll Nightmare is hilarious and Deathgasm's actually good. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Anyway, so he throws up. But yes, as they're trying to run away from this cemetery, Victor Crowley pulls off one of the poles from the gate throws it like a javelin and it hits Ben right in the foot and he's stuck and they can't leave. And so Mary Beth tells them to lean against the pole with your knee as Victor Crowley is running towards them. And because he's so dumb, it, it, he gets impaled on this pole and then they're able to lift it off. No, they they rip his foot off of it. They don't lift the pole up. They just rip his foot off of the pole, really injuring his foot. And, Victor Crowley dies, dies, question mark. They get into the boat that belonged to her dad and brother, and that's what they're going to use to do their getaway. If you can already see where this is going, it's going exactly where Friday the 13th went. Pretty much. Pulled underwater. It's, it's a little bit more complex than that. She gets pulled underwater. She falls underwater. She falls into the water. He freaks out and tr is trying to help her. This is actually, it's not new. It's not novel, but I thought it was a little well done. She's underwater and she's being held by something, but we never see what it is. And we assume it's Victor Crowley. And Ben's reaching his hand underwater hesitantly because he doesn't want to get hurt too until from her perspective, his hand plunges underwater and it's like, come on. She grabs Ben's arm. And she gets yanked up, and it turns out it's Victor Crowley in the boat holding Ben's arm. He ripped off his arm, and Ben's lying there, dead maybe, in the boat. He pulls her up to him, and he screams in her face, and then end of movie. Yep. That's the end of the movie. That's a movie. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, did you want to get the actual end of the story? You're going to have to spend more money and watch the sequel. Yeah. Which is really frustrating. Games do that all the time, where they put the actual ending of the game in DLC that you have to buy. So frustrating. That is Hatchet. Yeah. Just some touch-up CGI here and there for, uh, you know, getting rid of wires and stuff like that. Otherwise, all practical effects. For no is, real reason, because none of it looks real. I mean, as an exercise, it's fun. I guess. In the future movies... The character of Mary Beth is not played by Amara Zaragoza. It is played by Danielle Harris. Does that name sound familiar to you at all, Kelsey? Yes, but I don't know why. Danielle Harris is in the uh, 
Halloween movies. She's Jamie from the Halloween movie. She's the cousin. She your friend? The the niece or whatever. She was also in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. No, 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 not that one. Oh. She was also in Halloween too. You oh, know she oh, she no, played no, her no, friend. No, no, no. Yeah, the one that the She's Halloween franchise becomes about for a couple of movies. Yeah. I'm sure I've said this many times, and I know a lot of people do not agree with me, but personally, I really like 4 and 5. I think she does a very good job in those movies, and I think that they don't get the credit they deserve. Right. We'll get to them. Uh, we're getting to one this year. Yeah. We're into 4 this year. Oh, God, that's months. right. We're already on 4. The Return of Michael Myers, which they needed to call that because he wasn't even in the last movie. Yes. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. What do you think that Hatchet has on Rotten Tomatoes? I know it's high. I don't know why, but it is. So what like do you a, consider to be high? It's like a 73. It's 55. Oh, okay. The over-the-top gore, campy acting, and dim cinematography may be part of Hatchet's self-described old-school ethos, but irony alone can't sustain a horror film. That's like... At the at the jump, I was saying that that I think this is like an irony sort of thing, but it's not good enough to sustain it. That's exactly what they said. Uh, Metacritic fifty seven. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? Overrated. Okay, what are you going to give it? I will give it a twenty. Wow! Wow! That's really low. I did not enjoy this movie. That is really low. Well, I, I mean, like, I gave, like, five times and it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I would give it, I would probably give it a 40. Okay. Like, to me, that's bad. But it's going to make it seem like we disagreed on this movie. And I don't think we did. I think I just tolerated it more. This than movie is offensive to me. Yeah, see, I, I didn't find it that way. I just tolerated it. It was just kind of boring to me. It offended me that they thought they understood why a series had had tried to stand the test well, of time. Well, this is what I'm saying. I think they do understand this sort of locked-in horror culture thing, you know, where the type of people who – totally awesome people – I'm not talking down on these people or whatever, you know, that go to the horror conventions and are just 100% fully immersed in horror. And it's kind of all they're about. So it's very meta in that way that this is kind of for them. But as a, as a movie, like as a standalone, it, it just does not hold up. No. You're never going to do well as a horror movie if you only make sense to the Deeply entrenched horror fans. This is a straight to VHS movie from the 90s, and I don't know how anybody doesn't see that. <laughs> we got two pretty bad movies this week, and I'm really bummed about that. But it's okay, because Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are going to continue with sequels. Yeah, we got to get deeper into some of these franchises. Yes. One that I guess you could say is starting to sneak away from the horror It absolutely element. is, but you could have said that about Aliens as well. Yes. So we're going to watch Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Yes! I never want to miss when somebody recommends something. So Harry 
you were hoping we would watch Terminator 2 at some point, and here we are watching it. We're doing it. Yes. We're watching it. And we're going to pair with it Ex Machina. Okay. Another Which is more of a psychological movie. horror movie. Yeah. But uh-huh. it's a horror robot movie, and Chris sure. really likes it. So. Yeah, I do. I do. I think it's just okay. That ending kind of fucks me up. I didn't think it did anything new with this with the how the, how dare you with the genre how, but i'll i'll watch it with you again you. maybe i'll like it better this time okay we'll have some some rogue robot movies going on but here. i love terminator 2 like i'm just gonna love the he- it's gonna be a lot of love terminator 2 starts this trend in terminator movies where there's a twist and they ruin it in the trailer the twist that Arnold Schwarzenegger's T-800 was actually a good guy protecting John Connor from the real villain, the T-1000, the new character that was being introduced, would have been great to see in the theaters, but everyone already knew because it was in like the very first trailer they showed you that. And then it would continue to do that all the way up until even the most recent one. I had zero concept of like... I, I I can't remember a time of not knowing that the Terminator was good and, and you know, so like that movie is just very synonymous with my childhood because it was one of those movies that my dad would just put on on a Saturday, you know, on TCM or whatever with the, with the commercials and everything. So I've seen it so many times that it's weird to me that like there was a time when people was like, oh, he's good. You know, Oh, this is really interesting. I think this is why I have diverged from my family in terms of tastes and things like that so much. This is like the flashpoint, really. It's Terminator 2. I was in Boy Scouts, and I went on a camping trip, and my dad didn't go on this one for some reason. He did on a lot of them, but he didn't go on this one. And while I was gone, they rented and watched T2. They also on a different trip, rented and watched Ed Wood and fucking hated it. And they're like, eh, it's dumb. You wouldn't like it. And tell, so I like rented it on my own. And I'm like, what are they talking about? This movie's fantastic. I was just a little kid. So I had to take it upon myself to watch the things that I wanted to watch. And I was not heavily influenced by the stuff that my family watched. So T2 is like the point, I think, where I started. Yeah. So it would have been, what, 92 when it was out on VHS? I would have been nine when I saw this movie. <laughs> Fucking love Terminator 2. Still think Terminator 1 is the better movie. In the same way that I think Alien is better than Aliens. And I don't just think it's because it's the first one. I like the atmosphere. I like the tone a lot better. T2 is a cool, kick-ass action movie. But it's not as horrific as Terminator 1, I would say. Like, I understand that my nostalgia completely clouds my vision of the franchise Uh uh-huh so like there's just no question to me that the second one is superior but that's because that's the one that i grew up watching i would say after this one there's kind of no point to do terminator movies on the show except that we've been recommended to watch other movies t3 dark fate so the new one dark fate i still haven't i still haven't seen that yeah so we have to watch the I really series. don't want to see that. <laughs> okay. Is it really a horror? You saw it, right? Is that the one with um 
Oh no, you the didn't. The Irish guy? <laughs> you didn't. The last one I saw was him with the Irish guy. You know, that dude, the terminal that dude, Jason, whatever his face is. No. Oh, um, wasn't he in Winchester? He was, yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Dark Fate is the most recent one, the one that Linda Hamilton is actually in. Neither of us saw it. Neither of us saw that one. You saw the one before it that had that Jason What's-His-Face in it. Didn't think it was that bad. I know everybody hated it. I was just like, that's fine. It wasn't that bad. It was not nearly as bad as three. Three is garbage. Yes, it is. I think it's people harsh on it a little too much. I don't think it's as garbage as everyone says it is. It is garbage. Don't get me wrong. Especially when held up against the first two movies. It's like, what the fuck happened here? Yes. But if you just take it in isolation, it's not the worst thing you could have seen. And the one with Christian Bale had potential. Oh my God, they ruined that movie. Squandered. By by having absolutely zero conception of who the audience would actually like and root for because it certainly fucking wasn't Christian Bale. We're supposed to feel something. No, it felt pointless and awful. And like... Well, it had potential. It had potential. It really did. It was another one, though, where they spoiled the twist in the trailer. I mean, the twist doesn't matter, but like... Just like the one with Jason What's-His-Face, they spoil that twist in the trailer. I didn't know. I never saw that trailer. How did you not know that? It was in the trailer. I never saw the trailer. (laughs) It was a surprise. I mean, like, it wasn't a surprise, because you saw it coming. Uh Uh-huh. But... Like, I didn't know that was coming. Interesting. All right. Well, anyway, we're going to watch T2 and Ex Machina in our next episode. So I'm really excited about that one. That's going to be really cool. Until then, you can always reach us on our website, podcemetery.com. Follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Rate and review. Five-star written reviews. The biggest help there. Sharing us with your friends is even better than that. And even better than that is listening in the GD first place. We love you very, very much. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Your woo is so not in the moment. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life To the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape More than some fangs But a picking up bones Spirits moaning Among the tombstones Are you ready for quiet time? I want to eat a nectarine Okay Make sure we get one next time we go to the store Alexa Add nectarine to the shopping list water bottles here and they're no good to you because you want it cold it's so weird (laughs) is it weird to want your water cold yes i like cold water like ice cold water i like i like after i have ice cream 
<laughs> to have ice water. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so you go and get it, you take me two sips, and I'm done. You can have my leftover water. Lend me your ear, and I'll sing a song. I will try to sing a song.